Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. That is a quote by Muhammad Ali. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. This is episode 104. The topic of this week's episode is boundaries, values, and burnout. My guest this week is Dr. Angela Demery. Dr. Angela Demery is a veterinarian, a veteran, and the CEO and principal consultant for Paws Consulting, a public health and political consulting firm. After dealing with surgeries due to service-connected injuries, Angela decided to run for Congress to advocate for military reservists so they wouldn't continue to fall through the loopholes in the law. As a certified high-performance coach and host of the Beyond the Stethoscope podcast, she strives to be a role model and coaches others to accomplish their goals and live the life of their dream while maintaining well-being and positive relationships. Hello, Dr. Angela. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hi, Trina. Thanks so much for inviting me on your show today. Well, thank you for being here. You know, we are friends. We met six months ago in a program and we have become friends and we have some things in common because you are a veteran, as am I, but you have an amazing background. So why don't you start off and tell the listeners about who Angela is and how did you come to be who you are today? Yes. Well, thank you so much, Trina, for such a kind introduction. And it has been so wonderful and amazing to get to know you more throughout that program as well. And as I may have shared with you, I was working for the state of Indiana when I deployed to the Middle East and had a pretty rough deployment with a toxic leadership environment. And I had to lug around all of my battle rattle, my military and civilian clothes through multiple countries to audit food and bottled water facilities to ensure the food and water was safe for our soldiers to eat and drink. And it was nearly my body weight and gear. So when I returned home a year later, I needed a service-connected surgery. And what I thought was a simple, the army broke me, so of course they will fix me type of situation took two and a half years to get a surgery approved causing me to need not only one hip surgery, but also emergent back surgery. And as luck would have it, I needed an emergency appendectomy too. (laughs) Yeah, so I had three surgeries in six months, all impacting my major core muscles. And two weeks before the final surgery, I lost my job right before I was going to spend the next six to eight weeks on crutches and what turned out to be the next four years in a grueling recovery process. So with my self-worth being wrapped up in my career, as you might imagine, I hit rock bottom. I had the rug pulled out from under me and the social safety net and laws in place to protect veterans from this very thing was filled with holes. 
And I fell through all of the loopholes in the law. And I was lucky enough to have a mom who had multiple sclerosis. Mm. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was only eight years old. By the time I was in college, she could barely walk. And she spent the last 15 years of her life as a quadriplegic. And I say I was lucky, not because of her limitations, but to have her as a source of daily inspiration. I watched growing up as she not only taught her seventh grade math students, but she inspired them that through hard work and determination, anything was possible. And many of her students never had anyone believe in them before. And she was always given the quote unquote, uh, the worst students, the problem students, but a funny thing happened. They thrived in her classroom. She showed them by showing up each day that no one can tell you what you can't do. You get to decide. It may not be easy, but it is possible. So I started asking, what can I still do? How can I be of service here? And the next logical step for me was to run for Congress. I could stand, I could walk, and I could talk. I had a background as a lobbyist in DC, and I knew firsthand how to improve the lives of veterans and the VA healthcare system. So no one had to go through what I went through again. And after that grueling campaign process as a first-time political candidate, I woke up on January 1st, 2017, and I decided that I was going to both achieve great things and be happy and healthy while doing it. I think I lived on Starbucks and Taco Bell for you know, maybe the last six months of the campaign, and that's just not sustainable or healthy or, or good thing to do. And up until this time, I had pursued all of my career accomplishments at the expense of my own well-being and relationships. And so right after I made this conscious shift, I was introduced to high performance. I stopped feeling sorry for myself and playing that victim card. And I started putting my health and wellness above my career objectives. And for the first time, I felt that forward momentum in my life, that it was easier and I was accomplishing more with more energy and less effort. In fact, it kind of scared me at first, which was such a big shift in such a short period of time. But I also wish I had known this before I ran for office. I believe I would have accomplished more without so much hardship or struggle. And it's been an ongoing self-discovery process with so many twists and turns along the way, Trina. But I'm now clear on my purpose in life and how all of my career transitions and aspirations, even though they seem kind of unrelated on the surface, I'll serve that single purpose of improving the lives of people and animals through public health, advocacy, innovation, and technology. And the high-performance habits I learned help me to manage my energy and chronic pain to continue to serve at the highest level, and they're the same tools and habits that I still use today. Wow. So, you know, I have a lot <laughs> going on in my brain that I want to ask you. And first of all, I just want to say to yeah. you... Thank you for your service. Um, and I need to be talking to you because I'm actually in that VA disability loop now because I have a bad back with two herniated discs and everything else yeah. after 30 years of service, right? So, um, yeah, they break us, but yeah. they don't want to fix us, which is kind of my my yeah. frustration right now. Is, you know, it's like, why do I have to go through all of this when I've served you guys for 30 years? Why Why do I have to prove that I have this issue. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk offline about that, but 
you said so many things and you have so many things going on that I really love. And I love your story. Um, your mom with MS and that just making you strong. That is great. But you talk about high performance. So before I go into my other questions, tell me exactly what high performance is. Yeah. And so What's really great, and thank you so much for asking that question, is the way the High Performance Institute defines high performance. So it's succeeding above standard norms over the long term while maintaining well-being in personal relationships. And I think so often this is where we as busy professionals get tripped up. We sort of throw out the well-being in our positive relationships because we're so focused on achieving and climbing that career ladder and throwing the elbows and doing all the things that we're taught we need to do to get ahead in this world. And it's just simply untrue. When you really look at the world's top performers, the greatest Olympians, the best athletes, the Fortune 50 CEOs, they have incredible well-being, they have incredible relationships, and they have teams around them who believe in the vision and are helping them to succeed and move those companies and innovations forward. Yes. I mean, I, I get the throwing elbows and everybody's so consumed with climbing that ladder, making that next position and salary that our well-being does fall to the wayside. And like you said, that's important in this journey in life and succeeding as well. So yeah, I, yeah, totally. So with that, you said you've learned how to basically live on intention, your purpose with everything you went through, you, you lobby for Congress. Now go, let's go back for your, um, your run in Congress. What made you just say, okay, I've experienced this and I'm going to do something to change. What what made you say I want to run for Congress? Because I see things as wrong, but I, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to run for Congress. <laughs> what made you so confident yeah. and, and able to do that? Yeah, I, I think everybody looks at me and goes, what? <laughs> like, what? That is not usually the normal next step here. And I think it's because I did have that background as being a lobbyist. I had just moved back home um, from living in D.C. for several years, lobbying my members of Congress. I understood how Congress worked when it works. And when I came home, you know, I've been home um, at that time, you know, probably four years, um, you know, I was deployed. And, and at the, so about five years um, when, when all this was happening and, and I lost my employment and I went to my member of Congress and I said, hey, you know, there's some things going on. I have some really important issues and not even with me necessarily, but there were other issues facing our veterans that my member of Congress at the time said, hey, I care about these issues. And I was like, great, I am an expert in this. I am, you know, I work for the state of Indiana. Um, I have a good state job. I'm, you know, at the time I was a captain in the United States Army Reserves. So, you know, I have somebody who in theory and a veterinarian, right? I should have some credibility here. I mean, her office just said, well, let me take a message and we'll call you back. Called me back and said, I'm sorry, but she has no time to meet with you. And oh, by the way, you don't want us to do a congressional inquiry for you, do you? And I was like, hey, like, this is not how Congress works. And they suggested that since she didn't sit on the VA committee, 
the Veteran Affairs Committee, that I go meet with a member of Congress that wasn't my representative, but that did sit on that particular committee. And I thought, they're not going to meet with me because I don't vote for them. I'm not their constituent. Mm -hmm. And so it really drove home how broken the system can be when I had greater access to members of Congress as a lobbyist than I did as a constituent when I said, I, will, I want five minutes of your time anywhere in the district, anytime you're home, at your convenience. Wow. That should have been a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Wow. I mean, and so with your run, were you able to be successful in what you set out to achieve? Well, yes and no, right? So I didn't win. <laughs> so, But the great thing is that we get to define success for ourselves. And by many counts, I was incredibly successful. So right after that election, we now had a more responsive member of Congress. She was now meeting with her constituents for the first time since she won the election. And so that was really exciting for me to see was that Maybe it wasn't in quite the way we had all hoped or would like, but at the same time, she was taking constituent meetings, she was holding town halls, and she was engaging with her constituents. So I called that a win. I had the impact that I set out to succeed and to achieve because I said, hey, for the first time, win or lose, we are going to have a more responsive member of Congress. And then now, four years later, Indiana's 5th Congressional District is now on the DCCC's red to blue list. So a district that everybody said was unwinnable, I'm crazy, I shouldn't bother, there's no way you're going to close those margins. I said, well, I see a successful path forward. I have a clear strategy. If I can raise the funds, I believe we can win this election. And four years later, we made the impact four years ago that now the DCCC also sees that opportunity. Wow. Well, I, you know what? That's great. And yes, that is success. You had impact. And it's amazing because those people work for us. We put them in office and they work for us. So the fact that she told you she didn't have time to meet with you, that's unacceptable. Well, and now you know why I ran <laughs> and why. I <laughs> right? That's so unacceptable. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, I, I think that's a win because, yes, you made them open their eyes and say, OK, you need to start paying attention to the people who put you in office. Yeah, it seems so simple, right? We should care about the people we represent and our communities that we represent. And I'm sure she cares. But at the same time, we should be having greater opportunity for that interaction. Because if you're not actually meeting and talking with the people who are impacted, how are you going to make the best policy decisions once you're in office? Exactly. Exactly. So let's go on. So were you a vet um, when you were in the military? What, what, what was your job? And tell me how you transitioned to becoming a veterinarian. Oh, yeah. So um, again, very non-traditional career path, right? No, no surprise here. But um, I was a veterinarian from the get-go. And I actually joined the military seven years after I became a veterinarian. I was living and working in D.C. And you might remember back to the 2008 presidential election, um, the events leading up to that. And I kept seeing on the news during these town halls, reservists 
being deployed and redeployed and they're standing up in these town halls and raising their hand and saying, if you get elected president, how many more times am I going to be deployed? Because I don't mind doing my fair share, but I've been deployed three and four times for 15 months at a time. My kid's now five years old and I've seen him for only a handful of months and just recognizing that this wasn't sustainable. And at the same time, as luck would have it, I was training for the Marine Corps Marathon. And so from where I lived, it was exactly a mile to the White House, half a mile to the um, monument, another half mile to Lincoln Memorial. And, and of course, if anybody's familiar with the monuments in D.C. and the mall, there are very few places to use a restroom. So out on my 10-mile run, I would stop in the Lincoln Memorial to use their facilities. And as I was coming out, they, you know, I looked up and I read the Gettysburg Address. It's up to each and every one of us to protect the freedoms our founding fathers fought for. And then on my remainder of that 10-mile run, which was about six more miles, I thought about that. And, and I thought about what that meant. And by the time I got home, I said, you know, if everybody would serve just even a few years, there wouldn't be such a great strain on just a handful of people. And then I looked in the mirror and I said, oh, if I feel that way, I either need to join the military or never say that again, because I can't suggest to other people that they raise their right hand and they do their part if I'm not willing to do mine. Wow. So you really put your, your money where your mouth was, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and I felt so strongly about that, that knowing myself, I said, I'm not going to be able to keep my mouth shut. And so I, I really, even though I'm scared, I've never fired a firearm. I, I don't understand a lot of the things with the military, but it's what a great learning opportunity, right? You know, to look our fears in the face, to say, look, if all of these men and women have the courage to protect my freedom, you know, I should have their backs and I should be willing to stand up and protect our freedom too. That's so commendable. And I really thank you for that because there are a lot of, I call them armchair critics. You know, they sit and they watch CNN or whatever. And they're like, oh, the military is the military. Or you don't. And I always tell people is, first of all, you don't know the sacrifices that military people go through. Um, I was deployed for two years. And at the time, my children, my son wasn't even two yet. So I had like a two and a three year old. And, you know, you're talking about missing birthdays, Christmas, Mother's Days and all of those things. And then, as you know, going into the reserves, there was there were still times that I was missing those key moments. And with being in the reserves and having a full time job, it's two jobs. It's two full-time jobs. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the, oh, I'm just a weekend warrior. No, it's not. Especially <laughs> when you get to the officer level, it's another job. Yeah. So people don't understand that. So it always kind of, you know, rubs me the wrong way when people are like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just do this. Just like, please, you know, until you walk in those shoes, you don't know. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. I mean, that that's amazing. Um, yeah, like I said, I've served for 30 years and hopefully I'm getting ready to retire here soon. But um, yeah, it's amazing. But here on Trina Talk, so we like to know you're good and you're bad. So you talk about how you got, you know, fired from your job when you at your most critical moments when you were ill, when you were going through surgery. Talk about that. 
Yeah. And actually I was laid off. Laid off. So what they ended up doing was eliminating the position. I was one of eight people around the entire country that held the position that I was in. And so there weren't a lot of us, um, you know, I was working in the racehorse world and, and it was part of what I've been working in for the majority of my career, except for the time I was in politics and policy at, at that moment in time. And it, it was just kind of unbelievable, you know, because I had done so much good and saved so much money from a state agency perspective. But what I had also done was work myself right out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I had shown them how impactful and wonderful veterinary technicians could be. I was able to move some people around um, some of our open positions that we never filled. I was able to condense those at a cost savings and, and get more personnel that we needed during a statewide hiring freeze. So by all counts, I was winning at my job and and doing a really great job on behalf of the state agency, saving them money, being innovative, um, being a good steward of taxpayer dollars, and having the whole agency be more effective when you're talking about a veterinarian involved with horse racing, right? And, And so we were doing all of these things and then to have the rug pulled out from under me and to have a Freedom of Information Act request that says that the decision to eliminate my position was made on the same day that I had sent an email to HR notifying them the date of my third and final service-connected surgery. And, and to learn that based on the Department of Labor, that that didn't meet the letter of the law under you, Sarah. Wow. And so I thought, well, I don't know that any veteran anywhere is ever going to have more of a smoking gun And the reservists are really the ones, right, that need this protection, because if you're active duty military, you're kind of already in the healthcare system on the military side. So there's not so many dynamics. And when we also think of the safety net, the short term disability type safety net, because I was injured in a war zone, my short term disability by the state of Indiana or by your private employer doesn't count anymore. So they were able to, you know, pull all of my employment benefits because I was injured in um, a war zone. So it really gets very complicated very quickly. And while, you know, a lot of our politicians walk around patting themselves on the back with all the great things they're doing for the military, you know, and then so many of us that are impacted and have understand where the loopholes in the laws are. And we're just like panicked <laughs> because we're like, that's not how that law is going to work in the real world. And, and we need to really shore up some of these cultural settings too. So um, those are a little more, I guess, of the gruesome details, but, but also understanding of where the opportunities are on the policy side to really start supporting our veterans. And something I love to say during the campaign and get, you know, a lot of criticism and, uh, looks that, oh, you shouldn't say that out loud, I think needs to be said out loud. If you look at where all the funding goes for our DOD and our military, you know, they're on the asset column, Mm. right? Deployable soldiers are assets to our military. Mm. When you come home and you become a veteran, when you're looking at a bank statement, we're now in the liabilities column. And, And we're no longer this deployable asset. So until we can get our elected officials 
to start looking at us more than some dollars on a piece of paper as far as the veteran affairs. And when you're looking face-to-face for a veteran, you never feel that way. But when you're moving paper around in Congress, I think that's a little bit the the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Just, yeah, it's, it's, I can't believe that. You, you send them a letter saying you're getting ready to go into surgery and then they decide, oh, well, let's lay her off. And yeah, I hate that. Again, that's something that bothers me to no end because here you were, you know, you served your country, you got injured and your job just decided, oh, you know, not our problem. Instead of being supportive and saying, because of her, we have the freedoms that we do. Yeah, I I have no idea what the conversations were. I was at home recovering from my second (laughs) surgery when all of this happened. And, you know, I always hope that folks' intentions are pure and good. And, And, you know, there were some other issues, budgetary issues, right? So every year when agencies are asked to revert 10% of their budget, you know, eventually there's no more budget outside of salaries to revert. Yeah. And so we've really got to look at being more sustaining with our government functions and and recognizing what good government can do and and also ensuring that these policies are improving the lives of our community because those will be good returns on investment and good economic returns on investment as well. Yes. So let's go forward and talk about you today because you have a business You're doing some amazing things in the world. You said, you know, you're living your purpose. Tell us what that is. What is your purpose? And tell us about your business and just how things are going for you today. Yeah. And my purpose in life, I I think, has always been the same, which is to improve the lives of people and animals through innovation, public health, advocacy, and technology. And so anytime I get to combine all of those things together, I am so incredibly excited and happy and empowered. And the way my business is right now, um, I am the CEO and principal consultant for PAUSE Consulting, which stands for Public Health Advocacy and Wellness Strategic Systems. I became a certified high-performance coach in 2018, and so now I work with um, organizations, public health organizations, uh, on issue advocacy campaigns. I also work with first-time political candidates to coach them through high performance in their own campaigns, help them put together infrastructure and how they're going to feel successful, win or lose for their campaigns using the high performance framework. And even with my experience working for a startup company last year, I am now putting together and have started, launched actually, our fundraising accelerator program for political candidates. It has the high performance coaching mindset component to it. It has the nuts and bolts of what you need to track because first-time political candidates want to get those big pack dollars, right? They want to attract the, the big donors for their campaign, as well as making sure that they're raising money and having support from everybody. And in order to be successful, I know money in politics gets such a bad rap, right? Mm -hmm. But when 80% of the time, the person who raises the most money wins, we've got to put on our CEO hat 
from a campaign perspective when we're a candidate and say, I have two primary purposes here. One, to raise the dollars and two, to be the primary spokesperson for the campaign. Yes. And I can see that's your passion because you just, you light up when you speak about it and just, I mean, I don't know too many people who just would love politics, but you seem like you're one of those people. And it's so good to have someone who has a passion, who's not doing it for just to do it. You know, someone who actually wants to have impact and make a difference. Now, I always ask, especially high performance, powerful women such as yourself, with your field that you're in now and with being a female, what are any, are you faced with any challenges or obstacles? Um, well, I, I'll say none that I'm aware of or, or no new ones maybe might be the right answer for sure. Um, I, I face more, I think, obstacles within veteran communities than I do um, within the political realm or or other areas of my career. And, and it, so much of this culture is just ingrained and there aren't very many women my age in veteran service organizations. And, and so oftentimes that can be very difficult to connect. But I will say I've spent my entire career as probably one of the, if not the only woman in the room. I did my surgical internship in an all equine racetrack practice. I was the only female doctor out of six doctors in the practice at the time. Um, you know, I've, I've worked in, in multiple practices, oftentimes being the only female veterinarian. Um, now I will say in the military, because we were in the veterinary corps, it was much more gender diverse. It was much more diverse all the way around. And, and we really had some great kinship in the military, as I'm sure you're well aware, mm-hmm. Trina. So, um, you know, it just depends on the day and the situation and the table you're around. But I think really standing up and speaking out for yourself goes a long way to earning the respect and the trust that you need to be successful in all of these roles. Wow. So what would you say is the most important thing when doing that, when designing your life that you want and being successful? What's the most important thing? Yes. Knowing your values and your boundaries. Um, I think aligning your goals and your dreams with your values and then also having your boundaries in place and maintaining those boundaries. Because how often do we feel overwhelmed when we decided to stay late at work instead of going to our kids' soccer practice or guilty that we weren't there for the family vacation or the family holiday dinner when instead we got called away for work? And and so instead of feeling all of that guilt, I, I think just setting clear boundaries, communicating those boundaries and understanding what's expected at work. Because so often we get these last minute requests and nobody really expects us to say yes, but we feel this internal struggle and need and and really understanding when do we need to say yes to something, being intentional in the morning before we go to work, what boundaries am I going to maintain? Is today a day I can move some stuff around or do I need to honor my prior commitments? And is that more important to me? Because if your value is, you know, family and to honor those commitments and that integrity that goes along with it, 
when you've let that boundary sway or you didn't uphold it, it can be really upsetting because you haven't upheld or lived into your values. And so that's a lot of times what we're feeling when we're experiencing overwhelm or or even burnout. You know, that's interesting. You said that as far as boundaries and knowing who you are and knowing your worth. And it's because I've, I heard Cynthia Marshall, and I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. She's the first woman and she's a black woman. Well, I got to hear her speak um, last year in person. And then I watched um, a webinar with her a couple of weeks ago on entrepreneur. But one of the things she says is like you, she said, you have to know your rubber balls and your crystal balls. So she was before she started working for the Mavericks before Mark Cuban called her, she had retired and she was some big executive at AT AT&T. And she says how she had to go out of town for an executive meeting. And she said, okay, I can do it. But on this day here, I need to be home because it's my son's first um, swim meet. And they said, okay, sure, sure, sure. She said, well, she gets off the private jet. She goes, you know, and they give her her agenda and she looks and she sees the day that she told him she can't work that, they had her book to speak with the most important person that she needed to speak with. She said, and she told them, I told you, I can't do this. And they were like, well, you know, you have to, you have to do it because this person here you need to speak with. She said, no, I won't. And said, people were saying, well, it's just a a swim meet. She goes, no, it's not just a swim meet. It's his first swim meet in high school. Now, if it was the third or the 10th, it would be different, but this is the first one. So she said, she got on the plane and she went home that day. She said, they're either going to reschedule with me or whatever, but I told you ahead of time. And I thought, wow, that is, that is something because yes, like you said, many people wouldn't do that. They would feel obligated to be like, okay, well, okay, I'm here. Let me do it. And the next thing you know, you're missing those important first moments. So how would you help someone who doesn't have boundaries or wants to be that person who has boundaries and know themselves, but they're going, okay, how do I do this? And how do I follow through with it? How would you help them? Yeah. And that is a lot of what I do as a certified high performance coach. In fact, I even, because I recognize this to be a problem and everyone was having so much overwhelm when COVID first started, I put together a training on just that Um, It was about boundaries, values, and burnout. And we've also go over strategies to overcome overwhelm. And and so it's really about some of these high performance habits of getting really intentional that I shared a few moments before is saying, okay, look at your calendar, you know, Sunday before it starts, you know, and just kind of get a sense of, of what you're doing. Can anything be moved? You know, are you able to do everything that you've got on your calendar? Have people booked you for times when you said you couldn't like just kind of getting a sense of like, what am I getting into? And, and on the family side, what do I have on the work side? What do I have? And then either the morning of, or the night before go through your schedule, go through the appointments, go through the emails you need to send, go through who are you still waiting things on things from when you're checking your email? You know, email is a really convenient way for other people. It's a really great filing system for other people's priorities. And so we have to get really intentional with how we're going through our email um, and, and understanding those kinds of things. But when we know what we have to do today, 
And what we need, we always try to say, hey, don't check your email first thing in the morning, right? For the very first hour, don't check email. Then, you know, really get intentional about all the things you have going on that day, how you want the other person to feel, how you want to show up, what you can and cannot be swayed on when those inevitable emergencies crop up last minute and send everything into disarray. And how can you front load things before everybody else gets into the office and and throws a grenade into your day? You know, what are the things that need to get done first? Because they're so critical for you to move those projects and priorities forward. And, And so when we start to have these really intentional conversations with ourselves and get really intentional about how we're organizing our days, then so often we've already decided I can't stay late today because, and it's not that big of a deal anymore because we've had that internal conversation. When someone comes and smacks you upside the head with this request that you weren't expecting, you know, and not literally smack you, but you know, you feel kind of taken aback and you hadn't thought about it. That's when we get really uncomfortable or worried, or we start having all of these weird conversations with ourselves. Yes. And you're so correct, and I agree with you, with the living on intention and looking at your calendar before the the day starts, even the week, because I do that as well. I go through and I see, okay, what do I have this week? And usually every day I'll open it because I have, you know, my business calendar and then I have my personal calendar. So it's like, okay, do I need to take the kids to the doctor today? Okay, okay, what do I need to do on the business side? But then you know what you have to face. And then if you need to adjust and add anything in, then you know where you can or if you can on that day. Yeah. Or, hey, do I need to reschedule some things? Because this just isn't going to work for me to advance this big project forward and for me to meet that deadline two weeks from now, rather than waiting till two weeks from now comes and we can't figure out why we're frazzled and worn out and are, you know, not making anyone happy and have stressed ourselves out. So in in your work and as a high performance coach and in your expertise, do you find that women or men fall more in that that rut of not having boundaries and just letting people creep in and, and give them things to do and they feel obligated that they have to do them? Yeah, um Honestly, I, I'm not really sure because I think it really depends on the individual and how they were raised and what their structure for handling things are. And, and even if they have a structure for, for handling those dynamics on a day-to-day basis, you know, I, I think we can read in the literature or, or see on the news that you know, this might be more of an issue amongst women or that we feel more guilty because we're doing the majority of the emotional labor around the home. We're taking care of the family and the kids and all the extras. But I I also know that's not always true. So it, it just probably depends on the individual, how they have their lives organized and what support structure they have around them. Yes. Yes. Well, Angela, I'm going to get into our questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So here we go. Who or what motivates you? Wow. You know, Trina, I reflected on something very similar to this in the past. And I just love this question because it finally started making sense to me when I looked at all of my life's choices through the lens of what motivates and demotivates me. 
And I used to be motivated by people not believing in me with that I'll show you kind of attitude. And now for me, that's really demotivating. I'm tired of feeling like I have to prove myself to get ahead. I want to serve and live as my highest and best self, earn income, ride my horse, travel and enjoy life as an adventure. And that attitude really created a lot of internal struggle and daily effort that's just so unnecessary. So one thing that I recognize from a young age that still holds true today, and it feels very authentic to the core of who I am as a person, is this idea of being my best self. So in fifth grade, I chose to play oboe out of all the instruments in the band because it appealed to me that it was hard. Few people could do it well, and I'd be the only one. So no matter how bad I was, I was only competing against myself to continue to improve and be inspired simply through the process of learning, right? I could be unique and different, and I wouldn't be competing against my friends or comparing myself to others. Uh, Another example is my love for horseback riding. It's the same thing. I get to compete against myself. I get to work with my off-track thoroughbred named Tommy and and just work to improve and continually improve our skill sets, but not really compete head to head with other people. So for me, that's really motivating is how can I learn and grow and get better and, and kind of do more of that quiet internal work versus this idea of competition and looking around and saying, well, what is everybody else doing? And, and why is it all competition and in comparison, right? That comparison is so demotivating when we could just be working on ourselves. Yes. Well, you answered question two, which was who, uh, what demotivates you. So I'm going to go to the next question. (laughs) When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? Yeah. And I just don't know what people's intentions are. And I, guess I hope no one ever intends to be hurtful. I I think so often people are simply unaware and really clueless and they're really doing the best they can, even if it ends up being kind of a really hurtful thing. Um, A situation that was devastating to me in the moment was losing my job and then having the HR director say to me, well, before we decided to eliminate your position, we searched the word veterinarian on job websites. (laughs) And there were plenty of jobs, so I'm sure you'll be fine. And the reality was that I shared before, I was one of like eight people in the entire United States in this position. I had worked my way up through my career, and there just weren't any openings with my level of expertise. And because of all my injuries and chronic pain, I still can't go back into private practice today. So that was really hurtful comments especially their way of rationalizing it. But I think it was more about them than it ever was about me. And I'm kind of grateful because had that not happened, I wouldn't have the opportunity to be living the life of my dreams today. You know, I wouldn't be able to put together my day how I want to and and really just enjoy it. Yes. Nothing just happens. That's my saying. Nothing just happens. Okay. What is your fear? I always hate to admit this, right? (laughs) Um, My greatest fear is failure. And 
that, you know, all of the crazy things that we say to ourselves and, you know, that I'll be seen as a failure because I didn't win that election or because I didn't raise enough money or I did blah, 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 whatever that is. But, you know, I think it's so important that we kind of get rid of this idea of failure. And I'd really like to see more companies reward bold leadership and taking risks and pursuing failure as an opportunity to stretch ourselves beyond what we thought was possible. And I look at Google X and they encourage their employees to pursue crazy ideas, right? And (laughs) failure is rewarded because you tried something new and innovative. And sometimes I think we have to take our own best life advice. I was recently asked this question um, by an online magazine, what my best life advice was. And I said, give yourself permission to do hard things and pursue unique opportunities that you're passionate about. And don't be afraid to fail because it's not failing, it's learning. Yes, so true. I agree. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Hmm. Well, this is really hard um, because I try not to beat myself up too much, you know, for what I did or I didn't do and instead learn from those experiences. And as you know, Trina, from our time in the military, that AAR or that after action review or report is a really valuable tool. And so I try to take that assessment. What went well? What didn't go well? How can we do better and then move forward? And, you know, there are so many areas where I could say, oh, if I would have just tweaked this one thing, I would have done better here. But the reality is I'm really proud of myself for taking on so many of these big challenges against all odds. And often, you know, I've come closer than anyone had ever anticipated or thought possible. So I feel like I've helped shape the worldview of what's possible and that's something I can really be proud of. So um, I'm going to choose to really focus on those positive things versus the things maybe I could have done marginally better, but I don't know that the outcome would have been any different. Mm. So let's see what you have for this one. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Um, No, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot, right? So, you know, part of me is like, oh, how much better or different would my life have been if I had never have left Washington, D.C., if I had stayed out there versus moving home and taking that job opportunity. But, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have had the experiences that I've had. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to run for Congress. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to serve my community and meet so many wonderful people. And I wouldn't be here talking with you today either, Trina. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure I've stuck my foot in my mouth. I'm sure I've made some mistakes. And, and for all of those instances, uh, you know, I, I just apologize. But, you know, beyond that, I, or those possibilities, I just don't know what to say. Yes. What is your definition of success? Oh, this is my most favorite thing in the world. I ask the same question on my podcast as well. The ability to earn an income to meet my financial goals and the freedom to ride my horse in the middle of a workday. After... (laughs) 
<laughs> just simple things. Right? I mean, after all surgeries and the realization that any job can magically be gone at a moment's notice, I decided that I wanted to live the life of my dreams now, not when I was retired or when I got rich or whatever the things were, but I wanted the freedom to create my own schedule, achieve my goals, and earn an income that allowed me to meet all of my financial goals too. That's not too much to ask, is it? I don't think so at all. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I, I probably know the answer to this one, but how do you recharge? Oh, um, well, riding my horse, of course, of course. Um, also meditation. Um, you know, I walk my dog, uh, you know, after uh, these interviews and things like that, like I'll drink a big glass of water, I'll do some deep breaths. Um, I might do some stretching, you know, we get really tight and tense and, you know, there are so many fun things we do, uh, with the certified high performance coaching and some of these high performance habits around energy. And so I really do a lot of breathing exercises, meditation and drinking water for sure. Okay. What are you awesome at? Oh, what am I awesome at? Oh, this is hard to answer for yourselves. Like you always want someone else to answer this question for you, right? Um, I really have this knack for seeing all of the pieces of the puzzle. So as a veterinarian, we're trained in systems and really looking at how all the systems interact with each other. So if I prescribe a medication, I know how that's going to impact the cardiovascular system, the digestive system, and how all of those things work together and how the blood work might look different and what to look for. And, and so when we're looking at running for Congress or being a lobbyist, you know, you're looking at all of these different systems. And so when we're putting together strategies to on issue-based advocacy campaigns, um, when we're looking at the numbers for how are we going to build coalitions to advance a legislative agenda, to me, it's just like another logic puzzle that we're putting together and looking at how all of these systems strategically work together. Because when people come together, you can actually move mountains, even if you're at odds on 90% of the legislative priorities. When that 10% is aligned, you can move things forward really quickly much more quickly than you would ever think possible. Okay. What legacy do you want to leave? Yeah. I hope to be remembered as someone who is inspiring, confident, and who fearlessly pursued her dreams. If I can inspire just even one person to pursue a big, ambitious goal or dream, to run for office, or to start living the life of their dreams, even when the cards seem stacked against them, and to start being more intentional to create more freedom and joy and happiness that they deserve and desire, then I think I was a life worth living. Wow. So Angela, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Well, my absolute favorite saying, and I think the mantra of my life, it might be improbable, but it's not impossible. Sometimes I feel like I'm just about two to three years ahead of my time. And if I just waited a year or two, you know, would I have had a better chance of being successful? Would I have won those elections? But then again, if I waited, maybe somebody else would have already accomplished it. And maybe I'd be left wondering, going, what if? What if I would have taken that chance? What if I would have gone for that big, ambitious goal? So I just want to say to everybody to go for your dreams and do it when you have the opportunity. Don't wait. 
because wait is just simply a four-letter word and opportunities never come at opportune times. Ooh, so true. So tell the listeners how they can get in contact with you, whether you have a book. I think you did say you have a book out. So let's talk about that and tell the listeners how they can get in contact with you if they want to work with you and your consulting firm. Yes, um, I can be found on all the social media channels at Demery DVM. You can book, you know, a strategy session right on my website at pauseconsulting.com. That's P-A-W-S consulting.com. And my book will be out in print in October. The ebook will be available in mid-September. And so if you'd like to get your signed and personalized copy of the book, you can head on over to pauseconsulting.com forward slash book. And it is entitled The Campaign Survival Guide, What Every Candidate Needs to Know to Thrive on the Campaign Trail. It shares more about my personal journey, my experience running back-to-back campaigns, and insights I learned as a certified high-performance coach that I wish I would have known before I ran for office the first time. So, wow! thank you. Thank you. And you know what? And, uh, you know, is there anything more you want to add about your book? Because, yeah, we didn't talk specifically about the book, but any just pertinent pieces that you want to talk about about the book? Yeah, I guess I would just share, you know, that life's a campaign. And this book is just really a must read for anyone who's looking to run for office. But also it's inspirational and it provides a framework to tackle any dream, no matter how improbable or unattainable it may seem. So we really go through some of the chapters like, you know, everybody needs a battle buddy, (laughs) something I think we can relate to from our time in the military. But also it's true, right? You need to have that person shoulder to shoulder with you um, throughout that campaign to tackle that problem, to go after that goal or that dream, Um, whether that's a coach, a friend, staff, volunteers, um, you know, really make sure that you have all of those key pieces at, of the puzzle, right? And, and so the book just goes through a lot of that kind of insight and creates a framework. We go through some of the high-performance coaching framework. We go through some of the insights I learned and what every candidate needs to know to not just survive, but to thrive on that campaign trail. Wow. Sounds interesting. And I know people who have aspirations to get into politics, I know they're going to love to pick up that book. But I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy day to spend it here with me on Trina Talk. Oh, Trina, thank you so much for having me. I had such a wonderful time. If you like Trina Talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.